Hey, welcome back to Anecdotal Notes. I'm your host, Pat Aiken, and uh, I'm here joined here with my co-host, Steve Hyde. Hello, interwebs. And uh, yes, worldwide, through the interwebs, we're speaking to you today on Anecdotal Notes, and today we're just going to do a continuation of sound investigative techniques for the paranormal researcher, okay? And like I said, we're coming from the basis of where we operate from, which had been Bigfoot, or is Bigfoot, depending upon, you know, the time and day and date. And uh, But any of these investigatory techniques that we're going to talk about, I feel like can be applied with good common sense to any kind of paranormal phenomena that uh, you're going to encounter out there. Now, I think we're going to kick it off today with um, photography. I think we need to start there because everybody now has access to a really wonderful camera if you have a smartphone. You know, I'll be honest with you, I have kept an Apple product all these years. Uh, I have had very little exposure to the Android-based products simply because... They're pretty decent. Are they? Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm... I'm big on encryption. Uh-huh. I really like the fact that Apple is supporting its customers in encrypting and not allowing back doors into people's personal private lives. Yeah. So I stay with Apple because Apple is uh, staying with me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I do know and can speak that the telephone that I have has an excellent camera on it, uh-huh. has one of the best small lenses I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. and. I think it is an excellent camera uh, for general purposes as an adjunct Mm -hmm. to, you know, getting a single lens reflex camera. Mm -hmm. All right. I I know most people, you know, you don't want to lug a bunch of stuff out into the woods, Mm -hmm. okay? And I understand this. but if you're going to a place where you know that you're going to have access and that you can transport it in a vehicle, uh, I'm going to make a strong suggestion that there's so many wonderful single lens reflex digital cameras now, mm-hmm. and you can uh, choose the lens. And the lenses are they're expensive, but you pay, you get what you pay for mm-hmm. with those type cameras. And you need at least a telephoto, and you need at least a macro lens, okay? Close-ups. Close-ups. Now, you know, back in the early days, and I went through courses as a police officer on forensic photography, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, once upon a time, if you had a, a 15 millimeter lens, if you knew what you were doing, you could flip the lens around, mm-hmm. and you could make it a, a macro. Ma- a macro. By doing that, but that's really old school, and you really need to know what you're doing because otherwise you're going to be exposing film and that sort of thing. Yeah, nowadays for these these newer cameras, and the standards as far as the the quality of the cameras change as much as the computers do. Mm -hmm. Because you go in the store, and let's say we go to local Walmart, we go back in the electronics section, and we look at the cameras they have available there. Uh, The resolution that's available now is, you know, uh, the standard, I think, for even a, a medium-level digital SLR is 25 megapixels, which is a tremendously high-resolution photograph. Yes. And even the very small pocket-size cameras are, I think, nearly 18 to 20 megapixel now. Mm-hmm. And I have a 12-megapixel camera that I take pictures of stuff to, to sell on eBay, mm-hmm. and it takes tremendously good pictures. The only negative that I would warn you about using the small cameras out in the field is that their shutter mechanisms tend to be very slow. So and it will be even more apparent if you're using, if you're having to use telephoto or also if you're having to use the, the macro because they are capable of close-ups, is that that very slow shutter mechanism will introduce some handshake into the picture and it, it can be a challenge without using a tripod to take a clear picture right. on some of those. Even though the picture you end up with is, can be blown up because it's, it's a very high resolution photo, uh, the, de- the 
The little bit higher priced DSLRs for a good field camera is probably better because the shutter mechanism is much quicker and that takes the handshake and the awkward positions that sometimes you have to use to take photographs of evidence. It kind of takes that out of the picture a little bit more, so it helps with the picture quality. Right, and you know, see that's the problem with photography is in that uh, to really be proficient, you are going to have to have more equipment than something you can just sling in your pocket. Mm -hmm. And but again, you know, are you out there to investigate and really bring back good evidence? Are you yeah. on a day trip? Yeah, and Pat, you just hit on one of my all-time pet peeves about Bigfoot investigating, is that I have had occasion to, to go out in the woods with a number of different people and groups, and one of the things that Pat and I touched on in previous shows is that if you go by the data and the statistics about sightings or people running across really good evidence of Sasquatch, is that it tends to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. There are very few repeats for particular individuals out in the field. And one of my big pet peeves is, is People who will gather up and they'll say, okay, I want to go out in the woods and I want to do an investigation, a good weekend, good weather, blah, blah, blah. And because they have never gone down and actually established exactly what it is they wanted to accomplish with, with their investigations, which we talked about in the previous episode. Right. What they tend to do is they have in their mind that they're going to go out and do an investigation, but... It becomes very obviously that obvious in the back of their mind they really don't expect anything to happen, mm -hmm. and you can tell that by the preparation they undergo or don't undergo when they fix to go out in the woods. Because remember, anything you find or see, you may never be able to experience that again. And most people, when they go out in investigation, they tend to go woefully unprepared because they will let's say they decide to go out in the field and. They may take their smartphone, or they may they may take a couple of uh, Ziploc bags, or maybe a pair of tweezers, something like that, and then that'll be it because they think, oh, you know, just go out there. We'll we'll likely never see anything. So right. the that the the big level of preparation is is not necessary. But what if this is the day that you run across the dead one laying in the ditch? What are you gonna do? Mm -hmm. Okay, you can't take the whole body. You're gonna you're gonna have to take a piece of it, but I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to hold a cradle of Sasquatch head in your thigh. I mean, you have to be prepared for any eventuality at any time that you're going to go out in the woods. And that's another thing that you're going to have to get drilled in your brain along with the thing about treating data as data and not trying to interpret it on the spot. Is that this, you have to treat every time you go out in the woods, no matter how short notice it is, no matter how, oh, I think I'll go out in the woods look for Bigfoot today. No matter how nonchalant you may arrive at the decision, you have to understand today may be the day that you find the big evidence, and you have to be prepared. And it's one of my all-time pet peeves about Bigfoot investigators is that they they go out in the woods and they pride themselves on spending all this time out in the woods, but when you actually see the equipment they have and what they're prepared to do and what eventuality that they're equipped to meet, it's just not there 90% of the time. So you have to treat every time you go out in the woods as this is the day I'm going to succeed. Mm -hmm. Okay, because when you go out in the woods, if you're going to succeed in something, you have to expect to succeed. Mm -hmm. You can't expect to succeed in your mind, but in your preparation, it looks like you're expecting to fail. Right. That's right. I mean, it's all in mindset that way. It's, it's all mindset. Positive thinking. Okay, uh -huh. I'm prepared. Yeah. You know, no matter what. Now I'm not. Yeah. You know, obviously. It's like, it's like if you have that kit bag. That's right. Like, you know, when I went in the woods, I had this little, you know, this little army bag that kind of hung off your shoulder that had all my stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And I had to get myself into the thing that no matter how nonchalant or how spur of the moment or who I was going with or whatever, I had to get myself in mind that wherever I was going, by gosh, that bag went with me mm -hmm. and all the stuff in there. I didn't leave it at home because ah, I'm only going to go about a mile. It's too heavy. I don't want to take all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. We're only going to do this and this and this. That's the wrong mindset to be. That's right. Because what's going to happen is that sucker's going to step out from step out from behind the tree right in front of you, ten feet away, and you are not equipped to deal with it. That's right. 
Well, you know, uh, again, uh, people go out and I don't know. It, uh, some people are, it, it's all goals. Mm-hmm. What, what is this about? Am I, do I really want to see this thing again? You know, so I think people have a, a doubt when they're in, involving themselves in this uh, area of research. Mm-hmm. And if you're serious, though, if you're really going to do this thing, do it right. You know, don't half-ass anything. Go get you a backpack. I'm not telling you you got to go get one of those giant, you know, they're, trekking backpacks. Edmund Hillary types. You know, right. Just, yeah, just... The school, the, the school backpack, you know, they're, they're That's fairly right. rugged. You know. A day pack. Yeah. Day yeah, pack. get something like that, something you can put your stuff in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going back to photography, this is a pet peeve of mine, and people, you know, you really got to get this in your, your head if you're going to present this evidence and gather data. Okay, it is not acceptable to put a quarter down, a spent 30-30 shell, uh, you know, your foot. I mean, we all are, are looking for ways to measure. Go and get a half meter stick, uh, a smaller black and white camera uh, rule that you can put in the photograph of whatever you're photographing, give proper scale in a metric system. Okay, the, the place I told you about last week, ENASCO, E-N-A-S-C-O, they have world of this. And I think it's in the, the general education catalog under science, but you, they have an ENASCO, which is a website where you can look this on, on your computer, or you can even, uh, they'll send you the catalogs if you would prefer a paper catalog. But they have the appropriate sorts of measuring devices and they have meter half meter they have roll up 100 meter tapes so and they're all plastic nothing in there is going to be like really preclusive for you to carry it's not like made of lead okay it's going to be like a pine wood so it's, it's fairly light but it just helps your photography so much more if you can put something for the person to gauge the actual size of your photo evidence in the photograph with the evidence. I mean, they're going to look at you and you're going to be a lot more professional than, you know, you put down a pack of Wrigley's gum that you happen to have. Well, you know, do you know offhand how long a pack of Wrigley's gum is, Steve? I don't. I have no idea. So I'm sitting there. I have a choice now. I can go buy a pack of Wrigley's gum to measure it it so that I know that, okay, well, this is eight packs of Wrigley gum long, you know. Don't do that sort of thing. Be professional. If you just insist on using customary measurement, at least get a ruler, you know, and preferably one that's black and white so that it'll pop in the photo and the person can make out the measurement on the ruler compared to the object, and that way the person or examiner can surmise the actual size of what you're trying to display. Yeah, matter of fact, that's, that's what I carry around in my bag. Usually was was a black and white plastic ruler, a white with black with black numerals on it. That's right. And it was a simple, they were cheap. I mean, you can buy them for under a dollar. Yeah. Even, even at your local dollar store. That's right. And just, just at, if at a minimum, have that with you. That's right, at the minimum. But have something that is uh, a prescribed known system of measurement mm-hmm. So that way, you know, you're not sitting up there making the person examining the photograph guess what you're trying to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. convey of the size of a footprint, perhaps, or a scratch mark or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, and be innovative with your backpack, too. And what I mean by that is, you know, it might, if you have a half-meter stick, mm-hmm. that's a little long. Um, you know, don't be afraid to, to cut a hole or two and run some Velcro straps through and make the thing work for you. So when you throw it on your back, it rides up and down on your back. Mm-hmm. It's not in the way. Mm-hmm. It's your pack. Do with your pack what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, put in the things. Put in paper bags. I'm not telling you not to use plastic. But know what's going to happen if you put an organic item in a plastic bag it's going to mold if you leave it there Mm -hmm. okay 
allow, you know, for drying of the evidence. So paper, you need probably at least uh, a decent smartphone camera, okay? You need measuring equipment. You need evidence bags. Can you think of anything offhand? Uh, a good large pair of tweezers would okay. come in handy. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think back. I used to have like a, a little little water sandwich bag, some paper bags, uh, a pair of tweezers, uh, a good magnifying glass also mm -hmm. that comes help, and also like one of those small like jeweler's loops. Tends to come in more handy than you would think. You can, you can get lightweight plastic ones. I mean, they don't have to be like the real expensive ones, but like a little 10 power loop that you can even carry in your pocket would be good. Uh, also, um, there's another category of things to carry around in your pack that relate to the fact that you may be by yourself or with one or two people like deep in the woods, far, far from civilization, and not necessarily just Bigfoot hunting is that keep in mind that that you may want to have some things in your pack that will be normal like survival things like like mm -hmm. camping um, one thing that uh, a couple of items that i have found very useful is uh any one of these little emergency plastic raincoats oh yeah 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 because pat and i were both out in the woods one time and it had rained and gotten quite cold yeah and we weren't adequately prepared for that so we didn't have any coats or anything with us and we were we were off well off into the bush and we happened to have a couple of these uh, little small i think coleman like emergency right. little raincoats and they're basically just plastic sheets with like very thin plastic almost like wearing a garbage bag with holes mm -hmm. out of them but not only do they keep you dry they will keep you surprisingly warm yes we did find that out uh, a mylar blanket, one of these little survival blankets, yep. may, may not be a, a bad idea because if you catch yourself overnight and have to lay down someplace, put that over you, it will retain a surprising amount of heat. Yes, in fact, it will surprise you a lot. Yeah. 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 And also, uh, if you catch yourself out in the woods for more than a few hours at a time, uh, there are people out there who may not be, who may be out in the woods and not that accustomed to it, uh, may begin to be tired and may uh, have difficulty maybe keeping up with the group or maybe uh, get in some kind of stress. Pack in your pack two or three uh, power bars or, nutri mm -hmm. or nutritional bars. Yep. Uh, you will find those in the pack of almost every uh, EMT or, or rescue folks that go out in these woods and try to rescue people because usually the first thing they'll do if the person is in it may be weak or tired or, or dehydrated, but otherwise in reasonably good condition, the first thing they'll do is whip a couple of power bars out of the back of the pack and feed them to them and give them some energy. Yeah. And I've been in that situation where I've, I've had to partake of a couple of power bars, and, and believe me, that is a very handy thing to have in your pack. Right. You, you have to sort of, I mean, you want to carry your forensic kit, but you also have to understand, especially if you're in a big forested area where you mm -hmm. may be miles away yeah. you've got to consider the worst case scenario yeah. and I'm gonna add this in too uh, you need a uh, GPS locator mm -hmm. you need uh, one of these things that um, you can activate and they they're expensive now mm -hmm. I'm not gonna lie to you they're probably two three hundred dollars for a, a really decent one but you need a beacon, you need one of these locators, and what you do is you sign up with the company, you have it, it's battery powered, you just pin it to yourself some way. And then, if you, you know, God forbid, you know, you break your leg, you do something, mm -hmm. you, you're not gonna make it out. I mean, these stories, uh, you may, you know, you may be a, a real mountain man, but I'm considering my age now. Yeah, I'm not you, Glass. Believe me. That's right. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm going to err on the side of caution. And you hit this, it sends an emergency signal up to a satellite. Mm -hmm. And they now know through the GPS coordinate, coordinate system exactly where you are. Mm -hmm. And they're going to probably, some of them, I think, have the... Uh, option where you know the person can talk to you through this link mm -hmm. 
and you say, yes, I've fallen and broken my leg. I've fallen and I can't get up. And, yeah. You know. And that brings to another thing, too. Um, and I have been guilty of this myself numerous times in the past, even though I knew better. But I do want to put this out. Uh, when you're going out in the woods, do not go alone. Yeah. Have somebody with you. I mean, at least two people, because if one of you gets in trouble, I mean, you may not have that two or three hundred dollar beacon thing, or your smartphone. You may may not receive any word, but at the very least, you'll have somebody that can go for help. That's right. So, I mean, if you get yourself stuck someplace, you get injured, you get sick suddenly. You know, you, you, you know, you start wandering around. You're you're ten miles from anywhere. Suddenly, you start having chest pains. You know, that's that's something you have to think about. So, I mean, and I have been guilty of breaking that cardinal rule. But I, but I can't emphasize strongly enough, do not go out in these investigative places alone. And, and it's not that Bigfoot's going to eat you. It's just that some more mundane emergency is going to happen and, you know, things can go wrong and you would not have anybody to be able to go and get you help or nobody would even, unless you told somebody exactly where you were going to be. I mean, you could lay out there for hours before somebody would realize something's wrong. <laughs> so... My, my urgent advice to you is do not go out there alone. Always have somebody with you. And, you know, again, jumping, we, I jump forward, but the fact is you, all right, let's say you're really a hardcore person and you, you don't take too much advice from people. You're yeah. going to, you know, at the very and least. That described me to a T 20 years ago. Yeah, me too. So mm-hmm. at the very least, what you need to do is tell a significant other that, okay, I'm going to hike into X Woods mm-hmm. on Saturday at 9 a.m. <clears throat> I'm going to come back out Sunday at 6 p.m. Uh-huh. If I'm not back, you know, by 8 p.m. on uh-huh. Sunday, yeah. you really, really need to alert the forest rangers, mm-hmm. the sheriff, somebody. If you won't do any of the other things, at least do that so that your loved ones know. Mm-hmm. Now... You know, anyone who is familiar with the Missing 411 series by Dave Pilates will tell you, don't kid yourself. You can disappear, mm-hmm. and it'll be 80 years on, and guess what? You're still going to be disappeared. Yeah. Okay? Uh, so, and, and, you know, many people disagree with this that I'm about, to, that I'm going to say, but if you're in a location where this is possible and you're properly uh, trained and equipped, it's not it's not going amiss to have a firearm mm-hmm. on you. Okay, I'm not telling you that you need to go buy an African Nitro Express rifle. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling you, you know, even a 308. Mm-hmm. Not, but you know, you need to have some kind of offensive weaponry on you mm-hmm. now. <clears throat> is it because of Bigfoot? You know, I don't know. No. I wouldn't say if you encounter the flesh and blood creature or, you know, animal, chances are if all of the the stories are true, they're going to look at you. They're going to, they might toss a rock at you. Yeah. You know, tell you to get out. Yeah. But chances are if you'll turn around and you'll move away, they're going to leave you alone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh but you also might, you know... It's the guys with the meth labs in the woods that you Yes, yes. You might encounter someone that you've discovered their illegal pot grow, yeah. or their meth lab, or their moonshine still. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're like someplace, like a, a well-known eastern trail that runs from through many states, mm-hmm. people are actually going out there living wild, mm-hmm. wanted people. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. have no idea who you're going to encounter. Yeah, the Eric Rudolphs of the world are still that, out there. That's right. And, you know, I'm sorry, but... That's just the world we live in. I mean, when you when I go out in the woods, or, or when I used to go out in the woods on a regular basis as an investigator, I knew good and well that Bigfoot was the least of my problems out there. That's right. I was much more concerned about just any type of, like, more mundane emergencies like we talked about, like me getting injured or sick or lost. Or my biggest fear of out in the woods was other humans because you don't know what they're up to. That's I mean, right. they may be investigating Bigfoot. They may be running some kind of drug operation. They may have a shine still. 
They may just be out there doing who knows what. That's right. You no idea. Yeah. I mean, lunatics. Yeah. So, you know, you just have to be prepared. You know, back in the day when I was a younger man, I would uh, I would outfit myself. I had, you know, at one point I had a uh, Ruger Blackhawk, mm-hmm. which, you know, turned out to be a big pain trying to lug that thing around on your belt. Yeah. You know, I carried, and I've always been partial to the 308 round, mm-hmm. but I had ballistic tip hollow points. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I felt like no matter if, if it could kill anything on the African continent, it's, uh, it's going to deal with him, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if if I were to come under some kind of attack. But, you know, over time you chill out and you just want to protect yourself. Nobody wants to be, you know, eaten or raped by Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, there's stories. I don't know yeah. if it's true, but, yeah. you know, not me, pal. You know, at least if I may, I may tote one, but but he's going to limp back away from the experience. Let's <laughs> yeah, just say that. Yeah. But you know, something reasonable. You know, a 30-30 rifle is not a miss. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't people don't understand ballistics. I don't think, and so they, you know, if if you know that you're going to go after an African elephant, okay, not that you should, by the way. Mm-hmm. I'm not a sport hunter. And I don't uh, endorse that sort of thing. I'm not one of these guys who want to put heads on my wall at all. In fact, most of my life I'm plant-based, if, if that means anything to you. I mean, I do eat meat, but I just want you to understand that I'm speaking purely from a self-defense aspect of this. I, you know, if I were in a situation where I had to hunt to survive, I would hunt, mm-hmm. okay? But I don't want to, you know, I don't want anybody out there mad thinking I'm out looking for Bigfoot to, to take a prize. I'm just being pragmatic and reasonable as far as science goes when we talk about taking a specimen. I don't want to take a specimen, mm-hmm. okay? Not, you know, not on my agenda anymore. Mm-hmm. But if you are going to go out there and you are going to be alone, you're that hard-headed guy or gal, do yourself a favor. You need water. You need food. You need power bars, and you need some means to get help in a remote situation, like the, uh, well, we just call them in boats, EPIRB. Mm-hmm. Okay, you fall over in a boat, and you hit the water, and it would activate an EPIRB and send Coast Guard a signal. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, the name for what they transponder, I think, is what they call them, but you need one of those for sure if you're going to do this by yourself, mm-hmm. and you need firepower. You need a weapon. You don't have to use it. Just because you carry it with you doesn't mean you have to go out and shoot the world up out there, okay? And that's not what we're implying either. You know, a lot of times the things turn into something you just have to lug along. Yeah. But, you know, what's the old adage? Better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. So, you know, look, 30-30 rifle, I can't think of an animal on this continent, including polar bears, which probably I think would be equal in probably mass and size of a flesh and blood creature, Bigfoot. Okay, and, you know all this stuff that people. He's four foot thick at the chest, and you know, look. Okay, I, I've seen people who were enormously large people get killed by a 25 automatic mm-hmm. bullet, okay? Mm-hmm. Don't buy into the hype, okay? <clears throat> you don't have to carry a cannon out there. You carry a, even a cowboy-style 30-30 rifle. If you hit him center mass in a vital area, Bigfoot's not going to worry about you anymore. Bigfoot's going to go to the emergency room, Okay? Bigfoot, Bigfoot's attack's going to stop. Bigfoot, and I don't care how many campfire stories you hear, mm-hmm. you know, well, he, he shrugged the bullet off. He, he, he flexed his chest and the bullet popped out. You know, whatever. <laughs> okay. You know, if you don't know the right kind of ammunition to get, you, right. you know, email me. Yeah. And, and, and I'll put you right on what you need to get yeah. that... The Bigfoot's going to flex, all right? He's going to flex his ass right back down in the woods and go try to get some help, all right? Bottom line. Yeah. So 
go out there and protect yourself while you're doing it because chances are, like I said, I'm almost 98, 99%. You're not going to have to deal with Bigfoot attacking you, but you very well may have to deal with somebody really mad that you have discovered their meth lab. Mm-hmm. And friend, unlike Bigfoot, they will disappear you. Yeah. Yes. You know, they'll get some post hole diggers and, and bury you straight up and down in the ground and right. cover the hole back up and <laughs> leave a footprint about a foot square and cover it with leaves. So don't, you know, don't be foolhardy in this endeavor simply for the human factor. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about this right quick. I'm just going to touch on this. All right, you have the camera. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have an iPhone, and I'm going to speak to the iPhone. I don't know the capabilities of the Android phones. I've never dealt with their smartphones. They're very similar. Very. I, mean, I, I don't have, I, I, in interest full disclosure, I don't own a smartphone. Hmm. But I have something fairly close to one, and, and it is an Android phone. And it has a, a pretty decent, like 12 megapixel camera on it. So they're, they're pretty capable. I'm, I'm pretty sure, I mean, they're competing products. So I'm pretty sure the capabilities are pretty close. Well, yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm even behind the times. This is an iPhone 6S. Yeah. And my number one thing is this, I mean, with the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're going to use the iPhone, you're going to make video, turn the iPhone on its side. Mm-hmm. Okay? It, it creates the proper aspect ratio mm-hmm. for the lens, and it's yeah. built to do that. Don't use it up and down like a bar. Yeah. Turn it on its side. Mm-hmm. And then when you want to upload the film or the the video rather, mm-hmm. it's going to have the right aspect ratio when someone tries to look at it. It may end up like looking like a shadow box below and above it. Yeah. But the person can enlarge that and actually see the video as it's meant to be. Yeah. And don't worry about about thinking that yeah I'm going to upload the video and it's going to be sideways or something like that. I mean there are ways to correct that. Right. If you have one of the phones that does that. Okay, now, you're approaching a scene. No, go ahead, Steve. I cut okay. you off. Uh, no, so, uh, I just had one little thought that, uh, and it it was a piece of advice that I would give, that I would give you after a personal experience taking a photograph of something in the woods that I thought was unusual, is that if you are out in the woods and talking about cameras, if you let's say you see something strange at a distance, you decide to take a picture of it. And let's say later on it, it moved away or something. What you want to do is make sure that that after you take the picture of whatever the unusual occurrence was, go back as soon afterward as you can and take another photograph of that scene that shows whatever it is that you saw no longer being there. Because what that will do is, I was in a situation where we were out in the woods and we thought we were being followed by something. So I kind of got close to the ground and kind of hung back while the rest of the group moved forward. And I waited a few minutes and then I stood back up and looked around and lo and behold, there was something in the woods not very far from me that just happened to be a very dark object that showed up in the middle of some very light colored trees. I remember that. Yeah. And uh, I took a photograph of it, and what I failed to think about at the time and what I should have done and made a habit is is that after the incident was over and the object disappeared, I did not go back and take another picture of the scene from the same angle that showed that object no longer there. And what that does is help in the interpretation of evidence later when it comes up that's uh, well is that like a shadow on a tree is that a burnt spot or is that something else that right. if i would have went back there would still be there it, uh, if you do that you show that whatever the object was that you photographed in the first frame it was no longer there in the second frame so it had to be something moving right well you know i remember the the incident and sure enough, we, while we did not, you did not photograph it, but I remember going back to the exact spot mm-hmm. with the photograph, and surely it was gone. Yeah. There was nothing there, so something had been there. Yeah. I, I mean, was it blob squatchy? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I'll admit that. Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, most stumps don't move. Yeah. Okay. At yeah. least in, in my neck of the woods, I don't know where it is where you are, but. Yeah. Down here in Georgia, if you got a stump, generally you come back and find that same stump. Yeah. 
Okay. Steve, but that Steve's absolutely right. You know, it's the same as the scale in the picture. You know, go back. Reshoot the scene. Uh -huh. Especially if you discover something there. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Basic advice. Turn the camera or, or the phone on the side if you're going to videotape with the phone. Have backup batteries for your phone. They're easy. Go, you know, on any of the major online retailers. They have these... Uh, batteries that you can buy 5600 mAh and even above that you know you can re <coughs> repower your phone there's a big one that you can do it like 10 or 12 times yeah. from this uh, and at the very least make, make sure your phone is fully charged before you go on that don't go out there with half a charge and suddenly your phone runs down and you're looking for the closest tree to plug your charger in that just doesn't work doesn't work <laughs> alright Film the scene from the approach. Do the reverse if you possibly can. And take your time and slowly pan the scene, taking into uh, consideration any of the evidence or the places that a witness may share with you that I saw him touch this limb, the creature. You know, make certain that you get this both in a photograph mode or uh, medium, but also in video. Uh, I would suggest, and this is just a, a, rule, a guideline, you should photograph a scene from the cardinal points of the compass, north, south, east, and west. Make certain that you cover it in still photographs that way. Then work your way inward towards the actual evidence and you know, if, if the evidence just turns out to be a footprint, okay, the other six times you've been out and you've lugged that tripod and it's been a pain, okay, the seventh time when you actually get to take a picture of a, photo, of a footprint and photograph it, you're going to love the tripod because then, even back in the old days, I mean, I don't know a lot of these new cameras, but I used cameras back in the day, used a... Uh, shutter release and I always kept a shutter release because I could set the the camera up get my focus and everything correct step <laughs> away from it use the shutter release and get a beautiful clean photo now I would use a lot of times Kodachrome 64 mm -hmm. now that's old days and but you could still get this if all you have is a film camera but a film camera has a very very fine grain at Kodachrome 64 and I would just strongly recommend, even if you have to send away to get that for a 35 millimeter SLR film camera, Kodachrome 64 is a beautiful uh, film and be one that I would recommend to use. Uh, with the new cameras, like I say, the 24 megapixel, you can trust it, but read your manual and see if what you need to do to take a photograph in such a manner that uh, you wouldn't have any kind of movement of the camera. Yeah, and, and once again, like I said before, if you're if you're tempted to get one of the smaller cameras that, that fits easily into your pocket and still gives those 15, 18 megapixels, that are perfectly serviceable cameras. But keep in mind the shutter speeds on them tend to be kind of slow, and especially in low light conditions, they yes. can be extremely slow. So it's, it would be, unless you can set it somewhere where it stays absolutely still, like if you put it, because they, uh, it comes with a little timer you can use. But uh, especially in lower light conditions that you often encounter in the woods, the shutter speeds can be very slow. They're not adjustable on those cameras. They're not settable. They're automatic. And uh, it is very difficult to, to not take a blurry picture with one. Right. So just think ahead. Be prepared. You know, get a couple of photography books. Read them. Mm -hmm. Go get a book on videography. Read it. Mm -hmm. You know, th there are little uh, mounts that you can buy now, mm -hmm. uh, and they're cheap. We're talking about something that's less than 20 bucks that stabilizes your uh, smartphone mm -hmm. so that you can take better video with the smartphone. Yeah. Go invest in that. And we're talking about something that might weigh a half a pound. Yeah. It's worthy to include yeah. in your, your kit. Yeah. Even a selfie stick. 
could be useful in that because you could make it into a like a little monopod mm-hmm. if if you wanted to. If I mean one of the better selfie sticks, and at the very least, it would help you kind of stabilize the camera a little bit by putting it against the ground. So at least it takes a little bit of the shake out. All right, I think. We've covered lots of the technical aspect. I think we need to talk about the interpersonal thing. Uh, There's one, one more thing. I'm okay. Before we get into that, is uh, addressing the question that probably some, many of the listeners would probably be asking in their head about now was, what about casting material? Mm. And uh, since we've been spending a lot of this talking about cameras, which is going to be a, a, probably the, the primary mm. evidence tool that you're going to have, uh, one of the things that has been suggested by uh, Jeff Meldrum and some others in the past is that, and I have become increasingly, I don't know what the proper word is, but not terribly excited about casting footprints or possible footprints in the field anymore like I used to be because what basically what they end up being is, is souvenirs. Right. The conventional wisdom is now is that having a a good quality camera with you that you can that you've practiced with that can take really good pictures with, if you find a set of footprints or a footprint or something or some kind of impression in the ground, nowadays the the suggestion is not to worry about carrying with you in the field, even in your car, any casting material, anything like that. Because if you're in a remote spot, you're talking about lugging a lot of stuff and having to find a source of water, which you may may or may not be near. And they say now that it's much more important to uh, take very good close-up photographs directly above the prints. And also, if if it is a trackway, to take prints, uh, to take photographs of the entire trackway from several different angles, That's because right. now they feel that good photographs of the footprints in situ, which means in the ground as they are, provides much more information about context, direction, behavior of the animal, and is much more usable than just taking a plaster cast and setting it off, because then it's an artifact, but it tells them nothing about the area it was taken in, um, differences in the movement of the toes of the of the feet between one track and another, which they pay very much attention to. Um, that's that's the the conventional thinking now. So if you're one of, if you're listening to us and thinking so, well, what about plaster? What about that kind of stuff? Don't worry about taking any of it with you. The the convention now among the, the scientists and the, the academics who look seriously at the subject is a photograph of the print in the ground, a good photograph, and a photograph of the trackway and photographs of the entire area are much more useful, much more meaningful. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to throw that in before we before we got into it. I wish I'd that. known that 20 years ago. I wouldn't have been <coughs> lugging that stuff around. Yeah. If, if you do, however, decide to take cast, try to bring your kid along. And make the kid carry the plaster. That's just that's some <laughs> yeah. good sound advice because yeah. make it, the youngins work. It's, that's it's, right. That's, that's young people's work. Because it, it gets really heavy yeah. after the first four or five hours of out trekking around. Uh, okay. Another thing. I know people want to belong, and I've got no problem with that. People join all sorts of organizations and groups, and you know, but. Okay, here's kiss of death for your investigation. You know, you come roaring into town in your Bigfoot mystery machine, and, you know, you've got, like, all these placards on the side. It's the generic Bigfoot research, you know, cabal or whatever. You come into town, and you go into the local eatery because somebody's going to have to use the bathroom. Somebody's going to be hungry. All right, well, every local is going to see your Bigfoot mystery machine and your placarding out there. And, you know, in the South, you know, we, we don't we don't have a real issue with folks that are insane. We get along with our insane people. You know, they're oftentimes members of our own family. So we, 
you, you know, we don't have an issue with that. But, you know, if you go charging into the local diner and you're making a big fuss about Bigfoot, all right, if you really were serious about going in and investigating the area, you just screwed the pooch, as we like to say, because I promise you, the word that you're in town investigating Bigfoot is going to be out now. Mm-hmm. And these people, some of them, they think it's hilarious to go out and screw around with you when you're out there camping or you're trying to do whatever. Absolutely. They're going to present you, brother, with a Bigfoot experience you're never going to forget. That's right. You know, low key, go in, shut your mouth. Don't tell, don't tell Gladys, the waitress, oh, yeah, well, we're Bigfoot experts and we've come in from New York City to, yeah. you know, you go do that. Gladys is going to tell everybody about y'all. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're going, and you're going to be the local nut for the next couple of weeks. That's right. You know, yeah. And, and on top of that, you know, you're going to, well, we're going out. They had a sighting at the Clampett place, you know. Okay. Well, somebody's going to say, you know, my cousin Earl, he, he his, uh, his place backs up to the Clampett place. You want to oh. go mess with them uh, slickers? Yeah, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Bad business. Go in low key. Yeah. Shut your mouth. If you're going to make a business card, don't put Bigfoot prints on it or Bigfoot. Just put your name and investigator under yeah. it. The, as long as you're not trying to attach yourself to a police agency, uh-huh. you can have a business card made with all your contact information. You don't have to put Bigfoot investigator. Just put investigator. Mm-hmm. All right. So that way you can leave it with the people who are actually, you know, involved and you're trying to investigate. Too much, you know, this is how things get out of control and this is how people come back with spurious evidence that, oh, yeah, we it was a siege last night. There were rocks. Eight canyon. Eight canyon, you know. It was eight canyon all over again. All over again, rocks throwing, you know. In, there's a bunch of 14-year-old, 15-year-olds out there tossing rocks at you all night long. And, you know, so so here's bottom line. You know, if you got a drone with infrared, you can figure out pretty quick if it's really Bigfoot or not. But otherwise, you're just really asking for trouble. And number two, uh, you know, I, I speak with a southern accent, and unapologetically, I was raised in the south. My family has been here since 1600s. I'm not ashamed of being southern. And if you assume that my intellect is low because I have a southern accent, you're endangering, you know, your own self because, you know... I, Steve, too. I mean, we, we've been here, but we're both educated people. We're not full of dumbassery. And apparently some folks from outside the region come into the South and assume because they've watched episodes of Duke's Hazard or something that we're all hillbillies running around. Okay, don't go in with an attitude. Go into these people and just be open and honest with these people and say, look, and, and it really this applies for, you know, we've got this real divide in our country between urban people and rural people. And, you know, I wouldn't dare go downtown Los Angeles and New York City and tell a, a native Los Angelino or New Yorker, oh, this is how you operate in New York. I'd shut my mouth mm-hmm. and I would watch them and I would let them guide me because that's their habitat. They grew up there. They know what's up, what's dangerous, what's not dangerous, etc. You know, if you're coming in the reverse from some kind of larger metropolitan area and you're going out there, you should probably, you know, eat a little humble pie. Just treat a person like you would want to be treated. And you might be amazed at the information that will flow out of a person if the person thinks that, you know, you have a little respect for them and their background, okay? This has always been an issue for me when people, uh, you know, you going into a person's home, interview them, and then you begin to correct the bunk, the bumpkin. You know, oh, no, sir, that's that's not correct. Well, yeah, I mean, it was correct. When you do that, you're killing a witness for somebody who might actually know what they're doing mm-hmm. later on. Mm-hmm. And you're also creating... Um, an atmosphere where no one gets the information because you know you insult me you know I'm not dealing with you anymore essentially it's like you know sorry no no thanks 
if Bigfoot come out, you know, the backyard and grill a pumpkin, I'm not telling you that Bigfoot grilled a pumpkin in my backyard, okay? Simply because you came and you were arrogant, okay? And I'm sorry if this, you know, rakes people the wrong way, but I've just seen it over and over and over again. It gets back to what we said earlier about the distinction between data and interpreting data. Right. You're there to gather data, no matter what that data may be. Interpreting it comes later. That's right. So if you have that mindset of, okay, whatever this this witness is going to present me, I'm just going to record it. I'm going to go about my way, and I'm going to treat everybody with respect, and that's going to be my protocol. Because whether or not that story ends up being in the outlying cookery in your data, that's for you to determine much later. So trying to filter all that stuff out now is, I mean, because trying to do that is what leads to the kind of behavior that Pat's stressing right, right now. So, I mean, don't try to interpret the truth, whatever standard of truth you're trying to apply to whatever that witness is, is saying to you. That comes later. You know, and, and something else, just as an adjunct, if at all possible, and I'm not telling you to do this in a deceitful manner, I, you know, if I interview a person, if I'm actually out working an investigation, mm-hmm. I record what the person says. The best is video. If you could sit them down and they're willing to go on camera, a lot of people are worried about this because, you know, they don't want you to rush out and put it up on the internet and YouTube because, you know, it might take one month, it might take, you know, two years, but eventually somebody who knows this person is going to see it on YouTube yeah. and they're going to they're going to spread it to everybody. So you're going to have to deal with the fact that people are not going to be as forthcoming. Now, most people are not as wary of a tape recorder, okay? And I use that, a digital recorder. I use that loosely. I'm an old guy, so, yeah. you know, a lot of my stuff I did was on tape. But, you know, there's a perfectly good recorder. You can buy these things as apps for the iPhone, and I'm sure for Android. You've got a built-in recorder right there. And ask the person if they're willing to allow you to record your interview with them. Now, what this does is it creates a digital document. And it also helps you have a blueprint and a map of what the person said happened. It helps you create a timeline of the event. And, you know, you're going to have to punctuate it. You're going to say, well, at what time did you see this on what day? You know, a lot of times I would just begin a recording by saying this is Pat Aiken and I'm interviewing so and so on August the 15th at 8.30 p.m. Okay? If you're fancy you could say 20.30 p.m. or whatever. You know, whatever. You just set this up and allow the person to tell you the story and other than clarification you really shouldn't interrupt the person. You should let the person start from beginning and go to the end and make a digital document of what this person says took place in any kind of event or incident, okay? And once you've done that, you now have a record of it. If I do a recording of anybody, you know, I use uh, apps and I'll be able to send a link to the person so they have a copy, okay? Always do this. So this way the person knows this is exactly what was said and nothing will be taken away. Nothing will be added without your permission. Okay? Smart thing to do. Humble pie. You know, be humble as an investigator. Don't go out there. I, I don't care if you're on a TV show. You are no better than anybody else. And you are just as lost as anybody else investigating this. You don't have the right to correct someone's uh narrative for their incident as an investigator you should listen shut your mouth ask questions for clarification but let the person have their say mm-hmm. uh, do you disagree with anything i've said no, absolutely like like we've been trying you and i both have been trying to hammer hammer home there is a distinct difference once again between data and the interpretation of data right data is just data There is no truth in data. There is no falsehood in data. It's just data. Whether something is considered true or false or anything, that's the interpretation of the data. 
but those are two entirely fundamentally different steps. When you are out in the field and you're talking to witnesses or you're taking pictures of stuff on the ground or, or taking recordings of noises that you hear in the woods, all that's fine, but, but that is not the place to determine whether or not something is true or false or legit or not legit or anything. It's all data. What you're doing when you're out in the field or you're interviewing witnesses, you're gathering data to be added to a big database that you're going to you're going to study statistically. Hmm. Because when you do that, that's the time when the patterns and the so-called truths emerge from the data. One data point is not going to make or break anything unless it's a body. Right. So if if you're sitting there and you're listening to and you're recording a conversation of a witness and the witness is telling a straight story and suddenly starts veering off into the I stepped off the UFO with Elvis, then that's fine. Let them do their thing and do your job as an investigator. Record all the evidence and take it back and then put it into your database to be considered with all the other data you've gathered. And, and if you're going to write this up, I mean, I'll be honest, I mean, there is no uniform uh, methodology, I think, because we're not attached to a police department or uh, any kind of governmental investigative agency. But think about it this way. Think about it as an essay. And in your introduction, you need to name person, place, time, day, date of the interview, those sorts of things that establish where you are. Then maybe a brief summary of what you've heard that the incident was supposed to be. And, and I'm talking about translating this from the audio recording, okay? Then, if you, there are lots of excellent transcription services out there. If you need one, use it. It's worth the 20 bucks. Somebody gets, you know, you know, have the interview itself uh, transcribed, if you possibly can. If you're fast, if you type fast, uh, do it yourself. Okay, then you need to have an area with findings, which is you examine the area, you saw X, Y, and Z from the area, but that's all you saw. And then at the bottom, you can have a summation or a summary and say something to the effect that, okay, after examining the evidence, interviewing the witness, I reached this conclusion based on the presented evidence X, okay? Not really. Again, you are cataloging evidence. You are not out there to stand in judgment on somebody, okay? I understand. A lot of people are purely flesh and blood investigators, and when you mention anything out of the ordinary, to, you know, they just trash can it, okay? But, you know, and, and this is a real question, uh, it's, it's very important that an investigator, why, are you really investigating the phenomena itself or are you out there trying to prove a theory which is basically not provable without a body? So, you know, are you sitting in judgment on what someone says? However wacky you may find it, the wackiness is not for you to judge as much as you recorded it, it's there now, and this person had their say. I'm not telling you to be a catfish and, and swallow it hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, well, it's like, it's like we touched on before. It is not the job or the role of the investigator in the field to determine what is true or not. Right. Okay. It is the role of the investigator in the field to gather and present evidence and data. Even I may have my own personal interpretation of the data that I've gathered. But in the end, in the final analysis, my interpretation of the data as to what I think is true or not isn't going to matter a hill of beans. The people who are going to determine whether or not it's, is there's any truth to be found in it is going to be the people you present your evidence to, the academics, the university people, the government scientists, whoever it was. The people who are going to proclaim, okay, we have found some evidence by, you know, presented by investigator, blah, blah, blah. We have analyze the database that he presented using approved scientific methods, and we have come to this conclusion that the phenomenon is real. Mm -hmm. That's what we're aiming for. 
But what they do in examining the database, that's not my job. My job as an investigator is to gather and present evidence. It's like the police analysis we touched on earlier. Mm -hmm. Your job as a police officer was to gather and present evidence. That's it, was, right. it was up to the DA or the solicitor or the judge to decide whether or not it was enough to convict somebody. That's right. But that wasn't your job. No. You know what? As a police officer, once you gathered the evidence and you wrote a report, the actual report that's going to go in a case of a felony to a DA, yeah. uh, or an ADA rather, uh -huh. you could you could if you wanted to, you know, float opinions, mm -hmm. but the lawyer, the prosecutor, uh -huh. is going to look at the totality of the case, mm -hmm. and they're going to arrive at a decision whether or not this is prosecutable or whether there was even actually a crime committed. Okay, if you've done this much, then you've done your job as an investigator. Now, just be prepared because no matter how good a job you do, if you publish it on the internet, it's going to be picked apart. And, you know, there are lots of armchair heroes out there and all they do, and, and you know what, I, I used to think that we were just inundated in the Bigfoot and the paranormal world with these really narcissistic and, you know, you know awful people. Yeah. But what I'm finding, I mean, in the revelations of the last couple of years about the Internet is I think what we've encountered is trolls a lot of times. Yeah. I think that there's an active resistance against some of this information coming out. So what it's, you just... It's like a philosophical truth. If you really want to know what a human being is like, give them some anonymity. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So, you know, just be prepared for that. Shrug it off. It doesn't mean yeah. anything. Cause yeah. Go ahead. Okay. I was just, just going just to say, once again, if you treat the data analysis task is data analysis and you keep in mind in the forefront of your mind it's not your job to interpret the truth or to present any interpretations of it then that goes it won't mitigate it entirely but it goes a long way toward mitigating some of the flack that's that some of these people who post what they think is data and is and is really just their interpretations of their data that's when you get picked apart right if you're presenting the data as you gather no matter what it is and that's one thing but if you're presenting your opinion of it your opinion is the part that's getting picked apart, not the data. Right. So, either way, I mean, sorry, I mean, unless we got a body, mm. it's it's really all moot. But I will say this, you know, if you are doing it, there are repositories, you know, if you're willing to share your work and your information. If you have been doing this for, you know, 20 years and you're just sick of it and you want to get away from it, don't just throw the stuff out if you possibly can avoid it. You know, a person like uh, Dave Bacara up at the Bigfoot Expeditions Museum up in Blue Ridge area, go look him up. I'm sure he wouldn't mind taking your collection of reports. And he's uh, sort of been in a, in a sort of uh, accidental way, maybe. He's become a real repository for people who come through and share their stories with him, see? And... I think that's a wonderful thing to have somebody there who who is a place where you could deposit information that's a secondary source for people who are looking for information mm -hmm. about Bigfoot. Of course, I didn't ask, uh, don't show up with 45 file folders or anything for him because I'm not, you know, I'm just speaking in theory mm -hmm. now and I don't want to mad at me because, you know, he's a great guy and all. Mm -hmm. so, so anyway... Uh, I think that's about it for this this week, and we're going to call it to a close. Next week, we're going to talk just for a little while about the uh, phenomena of the Altamaha River, the Altamaha, and uh, these coastline uh, sea serpents and creatures that people have encountered in Georgia. Sea serpents in general is a fascinating subject. It really is. It's, it's pretty, lake pretty interesting. Too. Lake monsters, yeah. I don't know if we had any lake monsters in Georgia, but I've seen some monsters in the lake. Yeah, there was even an X-Files episode about a lake monster in Georgia. Was it really? Yeah, Lake Hoyelmans, which doesn't exist. Oh. It's kind of funny, but it, <laughs> it, was, it was actually said in Georgia there was a lake monster. I, I'm trying to remember what the episode was. But if you're an old X-Files fan, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. 
Hmm. Well, anyway, okay. Well, this is it for us uh, this week. Thank you for uh, listening. And, you know, get out there, have a positive attitude. You know, stay off the Internet with, you know, get out there in the woods and investigate. Go pursue this. Don't investigate, you know, from your recliner in the living room. Mm -hmm. You know, don't believe everything you see out there. Go find it for yourself Mm -hmm. and, you know, go live your life because there is something out there, but we just can't put our finger on it and we don't know what it is. And I don't know. That's all I have to say other than... All right. And just keep in mind the cardinal rule. If it's not fun, it's not worth doing. Yes, sir. Thank you. And uh, tune in next week for Anecdotal Notes. Bye, guys.